So I want to know if you can identify with the following. So this is, this is a safe space, Morse, right? So I don't know why I do this, but I often preface a conversation with, I don't watch much television, but the other day I saw this. Now I'm talking about a series that I watched, but I feel this desperate need to tell you that I don't watch much television. It's got absolutely nothing to do with what I'm about to say. Or I'd say, I'm not on Facebook much, but the other day I was on it and I saw. Again, why do I have this desperate need to assure you that I am not spending a lot of time on Facebook? Or, and this is probably the worst yet if you are Afrikaans, I don't read the Heisgenoot, but the other day I saw this. You see, I am trying my best to convince you guys that I'd not, I'd not spend my time just watching Netflix all, uh, all, all night long. I am not on social media, and I definitely want to maintain an image of me not being a Heisgenootian necessarily and reading slightly more sophisticated literature than that. Now, there are various versions of this. At school, I, I had another version, and that was, oh, I hardly studied for this test. Oh, I didn't study at all, actually. Why do I say that? Why did I say that before every test I wrote? Because if I did well, I wanted you to think I'm a genius. And if I did badly, I wanted to have an excuse, right? Does that make sense? So, so again, I am maintaining my image. And it takes different forms in which this image that one maintains is... Is, is, is sometimes, what's the word, uh, under, under threat. So uh, last year, sometime the service was, was packed. Um, and a, a lot of people and a lot of uh, vibe and people even laughed at the jokes. And uh, it seemed like they got the message and there was response. Only four slept. It was a, it was a good night. And, and afterwards... There's, there's even a little queue of people who want to speak to me, right? I mean, that never happened. So, so, so now there's this, this queue, and there's a visitor at the back, and I'm waiting for him to come to me. And I say, hi, introduce myself. How are you doing? And uh, he, he says, how's it? How are you? Good, good. But I never feel good about my sermons, but this night I actually felt a little bit, I felt okay about it. And he just asked me, no, I'm just curious. Like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, Ugh. This, um, this hurts so much. And, and, and then I'm very quick to say, no, no, I'm actually, I'm actually in the travel industry. I do tours. Um, what I'm doing on Tuesday, by the way, on Tuesday I'm, I'm flying out uh, to Italy. And the irony is when I'm on the tour, tour, guiding people, and they ask me, so you do this full time? No, 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 I'm a pastor. Um, and... It's a very impressive church. You must come. Or actually, don't come. But it's a very impressive church. Or sometimes I would say if, if, if people have, if, if they've seen both the church and the, the tour guiding, then I say, no, I'm in social development with this NGO called Beatrandish. The point is, I'm trying my best to manage this image of myself not being a complete failure, right? And there are various uh, manifestations of this. If you ever go to a conference, a church-type conference, 
then pastors gather and they chat. And, and usually the way in which pastors determine their success is by the number of their flock. So uh, I asked the one guy, so where, do you, where are you um, ministering? No, no, I'm at this church. How many people? 500. And I was like, mm, okay. And, and then the next guy, how big is your congregation? That's what they ask. And he says 2,000. And I can see where this is going. They're going to ask me soon, how many people is in this church? And I say, I thought to myself, geez, I'm, I'm really thinking of adding just 50 people or like 100 to the number just to make it sound more respectable, right? And, and then this thought occurred to me, like, I'm never going to see these people again. Why am I going to lie to them about the amount of people that we have in this community? So I said 4,000 because I thought if I'm going to lie, I can just as well go, go, go full retard. So, so the reality is that I am constantly at the mercy of what people think of me. And I suspect I'm not the only one. There's a, there's a wonderful, uh, wonderful writer called Henry Nowen. And, and he says the following. He says, At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often I am like a boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. Who can identify with what has been said by Noen and, and me? It is, it, is, it is a human condition, and there's nothing new about this, what is called approval addiction. There's nothing new about this pandemic. We, we see it in Matthew 6, and we see Jesus' teaching on the, on the subject. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew 6. If you want to turn it on, you can turn it on to Matthew 6, or just listen. Matthew 6 from, from verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, our culture today is not remotely as religious as the culture to whom Jesus is, 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 is preaching this in the, in the first century. Back then, the synagogue was literally, it wasn't only the, the place where you came for spiritual teaching, it was also the place where you went for law verdicts. It was also the place where you went to be trained, to be taught, not only in Sunday school, but it, it was comprehensive. It was, the, it was the schooling system, it was the judicial system, it was the political system, and if you were a rabbi back then, you were an absolute rock star. So if you could, if you could show your religiosity, 
or your so-called righteousness within that context, then you are really appealing to the culture of the day. Now, there's something interesting here, and that is, it says you sound the trumpet. When you give to the, to the poor, be careful that you do not sound the trumpet when you practice righteousness. Now, there are two things I want to point out here. The one is that the word that is translated, translated as righteousness, maybe on your phones or Bibles, is translated as piety. That word is apparently connected to the word covenant. Now, that's only important because when we think of covenant, then, then, then basically what Jesus is alluding to in this passage is what when you do what you are supposed to do by the covenant don't make a fuss about it so he is trying to 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 put it in that context by saying you're doing nothing special if you are covenantal people then this is what i expect of you so to put it in a different way um i I know you guys are, are school teachers now imagine i don't think you've got school tomorrow do you have school on wednesday so let's say you guys go to school on wednesday and, um, and Franz and Stefan in their respective classes, the headmaster comes to them and says, oh, wow, hey, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for coming to school today and teaching. Thank you so much for teaching. Then they think, well, this guy is either drunk or, or I've missed something that I'm not aware of or, or, or something is wrong. But, but don't congratulate me for something that is the bare minimum of what I am supposed to do as a teacher. Now, to a certain extent, Jesus is getting a bit of a stab in there when he says, when you do what you are basically supposed to do, what is expected of you if you are a follower of God, then don't be righteous about it. Don't be not, not, not righteous about it. Don't make a fuss about it. Don't, um, don't, don't blow it up. So he says, do not sound the trumpet. But then there's a second element that I find interesting, and that is that this trumpet, is, there's probably a word play going on here, or an image play, at least. Now, the shape of the collection box in synagogues in the first century was the shape of a shofar. And what does a shofar look like? A trumpet. So you can, you can see some of these uh, um, collection boxes in, in Jewish museums around the world. So, so there, I think we've got a collection box, by the way. I'm not sure what. Many people have um, thrown money probably into the cookie jar. But, but let's say we've got a collection box. And, 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 and then it's in the shape of the shofar. Now, back then, you would have had coins, right? So what you can imagine people would do is they want to show how amazing they are, how generous they are, and then they have to throw it into this, this shofar-shaped tin box, and it makes a lot of noise, depending on the weight of your coins, right? So you can imagine somebody drawing that out. The ding, the ding. Yeah, I'm going to do it again. The ding. Uh-huh, not done, the thing. So, so it became a bit of a, <laughs> it became a little bit theatrical in, in church. Now, I can relate to that growing up in the gereformeerde kerk, in the Reformed church. I'm not sure if it's still the case, Daniel, but I was very grateful that in my Reformed church, they had a bag. So it's, very, it's got a very soft landing, your money, and it's very hidden from view. So... So you can't, you, you can't see what's going on, so, so you, f- you don't feel bad about your five rand or whatever. I mean, back then you wanted to make a lot of noise with your coins. These days you wanted to have a soft landing. So even if you have coins, you put it down right at the bottom so that you think you've got notes that you, that you just put in. But when I go to some of my friends in the township, they've got this very shallow plate that goes around. 
And I'm always like, oh, like this is very difficult because they're going to see my you know, silver that I'm trying to put in here. Um, on, and, 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 and the rest of the notes are just flaunting in your face. Oh, these, this is what generous people look like. I'm not, I'm not trying to ridicule them. I'm, I'm just saying what goes on in my mind at the very least. Now, now this showing off via the collection box, blowing your own horn. In other words, you are making this, this horn-shaped collection box, making a big sound. Jesus is saying, when you do that, you are hypocritical. You guys are being hypocrites. Now to us, if you are called a hypocrite, do you feel insulted? You should. But if you were called a hypocrite in the first century, you probably wouldn't have felt insulted. You know why? Because there is something that many scholars believe Jesus pretty much invented. A hypocrite was literally taken from an actor. So if somebody comes to say, oh, you're such an actor, then you would say, oh, that's either a compliment, maybe it's criticism, but whatever it is, it's weird. I've never been called an actor before. That is the equivalent of being called a hypocrite back in, in the first century Palestine. Now, again, this is speculation, but I think it's pretty solid. Uh, there's, a, there's a town not far away from, from Nazareth where Jesus grew up called Sephorus. And many scholars believe that Jesus as part of the family business with his father Joseph, would have worked on this city of Sephorus, which was built in the time of Jesus. And it was a pretty impressive Roman town. Now, we often think of Jesus as a carpenter, right? And we've got this very romantic image of him working the, uh, uh, working the wood and, you know, just looking at the, I don't know what you do in wood, shops actually but but there is something romantic smelling the wood I've seen people do that you smell the wood you measure the wood you touch the wood you sit on the wood you walk around the wood you do all sorts of things um, when you work in a in, in a workshop but but Jesus was probably more of a construction worker for a number of reasons there are no trees close to Nazareth <laughs> Um, so, so he was probably working more, and again, this is speculation, he was probably working more uh, as a mason back then, because if you look at the city of Sephorus, that was the work that was available to them. So to, to be stonemasons, to be construction workers, all right? Jesus was probably a bit bulky and ripped, who, knew? who knows? And, um, and he's building this theater, and perhaps there he is, he is reminded of these actors, and the ancient Greco-Roman actor, they weren't very good. So basically they wore a mask, depending on the character that they portrayed. If it was a woman, women weren't allowed to, to act back then. So if you played a woman, you wore a woman's mask. If you played a bad guy, you wore a bad guy's mask. If you, um, if you were sad, you put on a sad mask. That's, that's how they did it back then. I mean, it's, 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 it's what they had. So... So Jesus is saying, you guys are actors. You're putting on a face. You're putting on a mask when, when you are doing it here in the, in the synagogues. And the reason why you're doing it is because you're addicted to approval. You want the praises of man more than you want the praises of God. That is your problem. Now, we can't necessarily, I think, today relate to playing the religious game much. I don't think our culture is that religious. In some pockets, you might still impress people by, 
um, you know, being able to, to, to if, if, if you can recite all the psalms, then maybe you can impress a few people. There are these little pockets there in the moot. There are a lot of these proper, proper doppers, reformed people. And I once did a talk there. Sorry if I've shared this before, but just pretend like you haven't heard it. I, I, I was going there as a speaker to, to address the school assembly. And this was a reformed high school. And the kids were singing psalms, and I, there, was a, there was a psalm book in front of me, so I sang the psalms with them. At one point, the headmistress says, there are still some of you who are looking in your, in your, in your Bible and in your books to sing the psalms. I thought, geez, yeah, that's me. Right, right there, and I just dropped it gently to the floor. And I've learned this from school, that when you don't know the psalm, uh, you just have to move your lips, and you need, sort of need to find the melody, and then they won't suspect that you don't know it. So usually we'd, we'd do green pat, swart pat, green pat, swart pat, green pat, swart pat, green pat, pat, green pat, swart pat. And then nobody would, 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 would think, would be none the wiser. And singing that, I can see the kids are looking at me, uh, and, and I think they suspect that I don't know the psalm, so I just put it up a little bit. Trying to you know, really get into it. And then after a while, I realized we're singing the school anthem. And I've never been there, and I just walk in there without looking at anything. I just know the school anthem off, off by heart. Now, that is a little religious pocket. And in that religious pocket, you can still impress people with you know, knowing scripture or, or, or knowing hymns, etc. But in the most part, that is not our religion today, is it? Now, that's an interesting question. What is our religion today? Politics. Politics? Yeah. So, let's call it social justice, activism. I think it's sort of on a downslope. I hope so. But... For a while now, if you wanted to show your goodness, if you wanted to show your righteousness, then you would post the right things at the right time on your social media. You will have your Black Lives Matter uh, profile pic, or you will have your Pride Month uh, banner day, or you will, you will do these things at the appropriate times. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong um, with any of those movements. I just know that there's a lot of pressure that started... To, to, have been, to, to, to be exerted on the general public, to show their righteousness. As a matter of fact, I was called in to a school where we were doing some uh, consulting. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm not just a pastor. I do these school consulting stuff as well, um, where they have racial issues. That's important to note. And thank you, thank you. And... And we, we were helping them out, and then one of the messages that came out, or the concern was, that there's this, this one little timid white girl, and she's friends with these prominent prefect black girls, and, and she didn't want to put the Black Lives Matter thingy on her social media account, and then she said that she has to, and then her parents complained, why, what, what kind of culture is here that, 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 that enforces her to do it? And that was just an interesting conversation. This is just this massive shift in society. So that's, that's something. But I don't think it's just politics. I, I asked Anna, so at least, I mean, I did my research. So, so Anna says that there's a lot of pressure on moms to do everything natural and organic 
And every second podcast is all about natural and organic cloth nappies. Um, you need to have this bamboo shirt. And sometimes, you know, they would touch your baby. Oh, what fabric is this? Oh, no, I think it causes uh, meningitis. Or, you know, uh, everything is just super dangerous if it's not, if it's not organic. And a lot, of, a lot of moms feel the shame when they break from that natural, organic recipe. Now, I mean, you can fill in... You can fill in the blanks. The fact of the matter is that we still that we still suffer from approval addiction, even if it's not particularly religious. Now, what's the antidote? What's the antidote to approval addiction? Anyone? It is secrecy. Well done, Anna. It is the practice of secrecy. Now, here in verse three and four. We, uh, we read about it. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That is the practice of secrecy. Now, what does this mean? When I'm, I struggle to articulate something, then it's always good to, to go to Dallas Willard. So he says... The kind of people who have been so transformed by their daily walk with God that good deeds naturally flow from their character are precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what their right hand is doing. As for example, when driving one's own car or speaking one's native language, what they do, they do naturally, often automatically, simply because of what they are internally. These are people who do not have to invest a lot of reflection in doing good, uh, good for others, Their deeds are in secret, no matter who is watching, for they are absorbed in the love of God and to those around them. They hardly notice their own deed, and they rarely remember it. Does that make sense? That's the type of people that we are called to be. People who are so in step with the life of Jesus that he promised that we don't really keep score of our good deeds. There's a guy... He, he comes to the morning, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's, he's on a leadership, Riechard. most of you know Riechard. And the other day I've got this family member, not the other day, I still have him. Um, so I've, I've got this family member, and he is, he's, he's on the intense side of, of the spectrum, and, and, and he's quite a lot, and it can be a little bit demanding. Um, uh, and I, I take him now you know, to wherever I'm going, and, and usually, I just try to warn people and say, just know he can be a little bit too much. And, uh, you know, he would just, in the middle of the conversation, drop down and do 100 push-ups, um, which is weird. And the conversation keeps going, but a little bit on a uh, different angle. And, and I see Rechard, he's now zoomed in on Rechard, and they're having this conversation. And half an hour becomes an hour, an hour becomes two hours. And afterwards, I go to Riechard and I say, can I just thank you for doing that, man? That is, that is so nice. I, I should have warned you or, or just, you know, but, but thank you. He says, what are you talking about? I say, no, th- this guy can be kind of intense. No, man, this guy is awesome. We spoke about this and we spoke about this. And um, he pretty much joined him in doing the push-ups uh, when they were doing that. He was really just excited about this pr- person in front of him. He, he, he didn't even realize that he's doing a good deed because... He, I think, is well-trained spiritually in that aspect of, 
of the, the Jesus life. There's a, a lady who comes in the morning. Now, the aloha is small enough that one can deduce a lot. But I am always fascinated by this woman. She was a, an academic, I think at Unishtapurit, actually. And she's now retired. She's since done missionary work in, in India. And the other day, I, I meet this guy, ask him, so where are you from? No, I'm, I'm in an orphanage. I said, well, how do you know this lady? No, 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 she volunteers at the orphanage, and she gives us extra class, and she brings food. And I go home, and I just tell my wife, who is this lady? Like, she's always, she's been around forever, but we have no idea who she is. She's just doing one awesome thing after the next, and nobody has any idea of, you know, what goes on in the in world. And, and I think this is somebody who's just mastered this practice of, of secrecy. Now, now, Jesus says that I assure you, these hypocrites who are doing their good deeds in front of people, they already have their reward. In other words, they have the approval of people. But be warned that what people approve changes very quickly. They approve Jesus the one day and shouted, Hosanna, 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 and a few days later, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So, so, so the approval of the masses can change very quickly. But this reward that we get, what the Father sees in secret, I think is twofold. On the one hand, I think it's perfectly possible and even probable that one day, things that we do, that God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's something to look forward to, that there are many things that God will one day reward us for that's been done in, in secret. But there are two sets of rewards, and, and again, I'm, I'm leaning on C.S. Lewis here. He talks about extrinsic rewards and intrinsic rewards. An in extrinsic reward is you, you've done something and you are rewarded for that at the end. And it's perfectly possible that, that, this, is, um, that this passage talks about that kind of reward as well. But then there's an intrinsic reward, and an intrinsic reward is that when you practice secrecy, then you become the type of person that has been rescued from approval addiction. Do you understand that reward that you get? You become the type of person when you practice secrecy that you can be truly free. Now, I just reflected on, on Richard for a second, but that guy was really free in that moment just enjoying this person, that other people are constantly like, oh, okay, how, how should we uh, navigate this? You know, where's the door? Can I go to the bathroom? How do I escape this? He was just enjoying it. There's freedom in that. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I mean, thinking of approval addiction, he says, I do not care about what a human court or any one of you says about me. As a matter of fact, I don't care what I say about me. I care about what God says about me. That's the audience of one that we ought to seek if we want to be rescued from approval addiction. And on the other side of that, friends, is a lot of freedom. This is usually a question that uh, reveals age, but who of you know the actress Sally Fields? Sally Fields, okay, we've got a, we've got a couple. Sally Fields, Actress, famous in the 80s, 90s, and she won an Oscar, and then she won a second Oscar. 
Now, the only reason why I know about her second Oscar is one, it is for a brilliant movie, Places in the Heart, which I think is biblically very, very sound, surprisingly sound. Secondly, she won that Oscar, and then she made an acceptance speech that was just utterly bizarre, but I think reflects what goes on in the heart of many. She went up and she did the typical Oscar stuff. I want to thank you. I want to thank my manager. I want to thank this. I want to thank this. And she says, when I got the first one, I'm not going to do the accent, sorry. When I got the first one, I didn't, I didn't think much of it. Um, and it, it was too much. But this time I know you like me. You really, really like me. I know that you like me. You really, really like me. And she shakes her Oscar there in front of all these people, and she just tells them, I now know you like me. <laughs> and the tragedy of that acceptance speech is, how did she feel the next year when she didn't get it? Because that was her last Oscar. Now, by any measure in the acting world, if you won two Oscars, you are at the pinnacle of the game, right? But how long does that approval last? There's a new generation that is growing up on social media. I'm not much on social media, but there's a generation that is. And and they are seeking that little dose of dopamine that comes with plenty of likes on a post. And they feel utter rejection when those, posts, when, when those likes are not forthcoming. Sometimes they share pictures and there are snarky comments. And it's devastating. Today, if you go on YouTube, you can find more than 13,000 tutorials on how to take the perfect selfie. Okay, this is a world in which we are desperate for approval, desperate for approval. The question is not whether we will be approval addicts or not. The answer is we will be approval addicts, one way or the other. The question is rather, where do we get our approval from? Where do we get our approval from? Now, I don't want to trivialize something complex, but I've heard this over and over again, and it seems to make sense of at least what I've seen. And that is often when, when someone has a dysfunctional relationship with his or her father, then there are just many, I want to say, problematic manifestations from that relationship. I know of super successful businessmen who are working 16-hour days just to show their father that, that they are worth it. They've taken over the family business and um, they know that there's this expectation and there's this sense that he just inherited this wealth. He needs to prove that he's not that and that guy's working 16 hours a day. I know of many women who had unhealthy relationships with their fathers and they are sleeping around trying to find affirmation one sexual encounter after the next. Again, these are deep searches. It's a deep hunger for approval. And I think if this is how we act when we, when we struggle with a father figure in our lives, then it's very appropriate that the language that Jesus used is one of your father in heaven sees in secret. That's no 
small uh, title, character uh, um, that he uses. What is the word I'm looking for? What is a father? Um, he, he, he references a father because that is ultimately what we, what we need. That is, this is our cosmic father whose approval is the only approval that we must actually sort. And at Jesus' baptism, there's this wonderful scene at the beginning of his ministry where the heavens opens up and it says, it says, this is my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. What is exciting about that verse is it happens in the beginning of his ministry, not at the end. There was no voice at the resurrection or at the cross that says, this is my beloved son, in you I'm well pleased. It happens at the, at the beginning of his ministry. He hasn't done anything super cool yet. I mean, he might have done super cool things, but we don't know anything about it. And that is where our approval comes from, from our Father in heaven who approves and who loves us. And that means that when we live, we live from this place of approval. We don't seek to gain that approval. Do you see how hard I've worked? Do you see that I'm meaningful? Do you see I've done well in professionally? Do you see I've married well or I've married or um, I'm raising my kids well or I've got plenty or I'm doing it the natural way or can you see that I'm a social uh, justice um, person with a good social conscience? Do you see, do you see, do you see? No, no, no. You work from a place of approval. There's a lot of freedom in that, friends. If we want to get this, if, if we want to get rid of this approval addiction, we want to get it into our bones, there's a practice that we can use. We already spoke about the, the, the spiritual practice of secrecy. Let's just get practical for a moment. Pray for someone and don't tell that person that you're praying for them. I often will tell people, oh man, I've, I'm, I've really been praying for you. And then naturally, those people would say, oh, thanks. That really means something to me. And it does. It, it, it's nice for me when I know that people are praying for me. But how about not telling them? And just wrap that person, dedicate that person in prayer for a week. And don't tell him or her anything about it. Then it is something that you do completely just for their sake and for God's sake. Nothing else. That's how you practice secrecy. Do something good. To somebody who does not necessarily deserve it, and don't tell anybody. If I'm honest with you, I've got a home group on Tuesday, and then I, I have a lot of interesting encounters in townships and you know, trying to help people and, and whatnot. And then I'm always excited, oh man, I'm gonna tell this at home group, this is gonna be cool. Maybe I must just shut up for once and practice secrecy. It's not wrong, by the way, to spur each other on to good works. That is also a biblical mandate. We should do that. And it, it, it's got this added phrase, to the glory of God, so that, so that they may glorify God in your good deeds. Absolutely. But, but if we want to get this secrecy and this, um, if we want to get rid of this approval addiction, it's perhaps healthy to not tell people of, of something that was exciting and good that you did. Maybe memorize a piece of scripture and don't tell anybody that you memorized a piece of scripture. Friends, I, as, we, as we prepare for Easter and, 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 and we, are, we are still in the season of Lent, 
We need to really try and die to ourselves and seek this audience of one. And it doesn't matter what the world says. I've, I've heard this plenty of times where it says, in your 20s, you really try to, um, to please other people. In your 30s, you are tired of pleasing other people. And in your 40s, you know that they were never thinking about you in, in any case. Now, now, we can tell ourselves that, but, but we don't believe it. It's not going to change you. It doesn't change me, even if I really think, ah, nobody cares in any ways. That doesn't help. What does help is if you meditate on the cross of Jesus, giving everything away, and if you meditate on the fact that God is not this distant deity, he's imminent, he is here, and he is well pleased in you, and you have his approval, and you operate from that place. If you do things unto him, your audience of one, then your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight as addicts, as people with this, this horrible desperation to, to find value, to be approved by others, to be acknowledged. And Lord, we, we find this search such a mindless one, and it is impossible to satisfy this itch. It is our prayer, Lord, that instead of, instead of living for this audience of, of many, that we will live for this audience of one. That our lives will ultimately be directed to you and given unto you. Lord Jesus, we want that freedom. We want that life that you promise that is within the kingdom. Lord Jesus, forgive us as we struggle with this. It is a daily struggle. Help us, Lord, to practice something of the secrecy that you, this practice that you've given us. May it lead to freedom, Lord Jesus. Yeah, Lord, we are thinking about all the ways in which our lives are continuously missing the mark. All of these hidden sins that are, that are hiding in our lives. We pray that we will be able to reflect on them and take it to you, Lord Jesus. Take it to your cross. We pray for, for a spiritual renewal this season. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, our audience of one. Amen.